This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a fantastic show. We've got Wendy Waters. We do. We have Wendy Waters from GWL Realty Advisors. This is this is a fantastic conversation. It is. And and Wendy, for everybody listening that doesn't know her, she's a multidisciplinary researcher and real estate investment strategist. Um, and she works with GWL Realty Advisors, a company that does asset management, property management, real estate services, all for pension funds and institutional clients. So just to put that in layman's terms... Wendy is the one who does all the research for the smart money. Why are you using layman's terms? We all got what I said. <laughs> Am I the only one that, that was Did like, you, were you whoo, right over my head? Were you, were you briefing <laughs> What's yourself? What's asset management? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, we're getting too technical on this podcast. But, but wait, let's just, let's just, I want to underline this point, right? For yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy is the one advising the smart money where to go. Exactly. And she's got a lot to say about a bunch of different markets and a lot to say about Vancouver. So and stay it, tuned for that. And she's a great researcher. And man, so much came out of this conversation today. Seriously, it's a, it's basically a university level course. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, so stay tuned. Strap in. But before we get to our interview with Wendy, Matt, we just had the stats released for January 2019. 2019. February, yeah. Stats were just released. Uh, Sales ratios way down. Definitely 
nearly across the board, although not entirely across the board, a uh, uh, buyer's market for sure. A lot of hay being made about these stats uh, with uh, the news all over them. I'm sure right. everyone's heard about them. But you know what, Adam? You had some interesting things to say about those stats. Well, you know what? I, the way I look at it is we, we're big on sales ratios. We also get stats that break it down not only by the area, the sub-area and the sub-markets, but also by the price band. Available and, to listeners of Europe. Get in yeah, touch. absolutely. But if... One thing that people have to really consider is that it's the skins of the onion kind of perspective, right? Where when you look at the market as a whole, you're not really understanding what's going on because there are little sub-markets that are still very active. There's also certain price bands that are very active. So you have to look at the sub-markets when you're looking at the market. And really, I mean, you read an article that says it's very doom and gloom. It doesn't mean that the property that you have is in one of those, you know, ultra-slow Sales ratios, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at a, if you have a $4 million house on the west side, chances are it's going to be tough to sell. <laughs> chances are it's going to be on the market a while unless you price it very aggressively. Uh, but for instance, if you're looking at downtown condos under 600K, the sales ratio is still up over 50%. Right. That means over half of them are selling. It's a seller's market still. Uh, I was downtown at an open house on the weekend. In November, December, I would have had maybe two, three groups through. Had over fifteen groups. There was a definitely a, a renewed energy. It felt it felt like the new year was very much in effect there. And you lost in multiple offers. We had a listing with multiple offers. Well, yeah, I won in multiple offers on the listing side. Uh, we had multiple offers on one of our listings, and then uh, and then I I lost on the buy side, uh, which you know was unfortunate. But the reality is, is that in the last week of January, we did see an uptick of activity and it actually was, it, were up, yeah. it was reflected in the stats and i have a, a feeling just from the sense of february that we are we are having a spring market will it materialize the way that ma- spring markets have materialized in the past few years i doubt it i think we're going to see continued increases in inventory but definitely people that need to buy and sell or want to buy and sell that have been sitting on the fence there's a lot of people that are waiting and, and the shock and awe moment of the stress test. And it, we're in a new climate when it comes to financing. And certain people have accepted that and they still want to buy yeah, a place. We're, we've been in a new climate since the start of 2018. There was a couple of hiccups there. And, but I do think you're right. It's, uh, you know what? It's kind of business as usual now. And at the end of the day, Matt, we always talk about this on the podcast. But really, if you're thinking of buying or selling in Vancouver, Think about your goals. Don't get too caught up in the market. At the end of the day, if you want to buy something and it's a long-term hold, chances are you're going to be okay if it's an investment. And if you're going to sell something, really think about your goals as well. You only lose money selling a property if you decide to sell in a down market. That's right. And you know what? That's kind of a segue to one other point I want to make here, and it's about Wendy Waters. Wendy Waters is doing fundamental research. That's the exciting thing about having her on, especially when every time you look at the news media, it's like they're treating real estate like a stock market. Oh, real estate was down today. Oh, it's further down on Tuesday. Oh, it seems like it's coming back on Wednesday. That's not the way to think about real estate. And it's fundamentally a stupid way to think about real estate. Somebody like Wendy, who we talk about today, is looking long-term, larger trends. And honestly, she's the type of person you want to be paying attention to. That's for sure. Absolutely, Matt. But one thing before we get to Wendy, um, we also have PCS and in 
we've talked about private client services extensively on the podcast, our research tool where you can get listing updates directly to your inbox. It gives you sold prices, realtor level information. It also works for sellers. And the best thing is, is we can actually map it out. So it's right around, if you're in a detached house, we can map it right in your specific area. If you're a condo, we can monitor specific buildings. So you can see what your neighbors are selling for without having to Call a realtor to get that price or, or awkwardly ask your neighbor. That's right. So go over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for that. And now I feel like we've teased it three times. Let's cut to Wendy Waters. This is a great interview. For sure. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Wendy Waters, Senior Director of Research Services and Strategy at GWL Realty Advisors. How are you doing, Wendy? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today. No, it's a trek from from where you're uh, located in East Van. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't that far. Sort of on my way to work. Right. So, Wendy, can you start by maybe telling our, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, about me. Well, I, uh, I head up research for GWL Realty Advisors. Maybe I'll explain what GWL is and then a bit more about me. So we manage the real estate assets of pension funds and institutional clients. Uh, we have about $13 billion under management in Canada. We've been a Canadian-focused company until this past year. We've, acqu- we've acquired uh, one and about to finish a deal on a second U.S. company to expand our reach into the United States. So we're a North American platform now for our clients. We manage um, revenue-generating properties, so things like office buildings, uh, rental apartments, retail centers, industrial parks for these clients. Um, Some are directly held for uh, institutions, and then some are part of our open-ended funds, so they're jointly held. And has GWL been around for... Uh, in terms of, I, I know you're expanding into the to the U.S. just recently, but in Canada, it's it's had a presence for a long time. Yes, uh, I believe since the the 1980s. I've been there since um, 2006, and it's, at first it was very small. It, we are owned by Great West Life, as you might guess from the acronym, and right. so it was a spinoff to manage some Great West Life assets. And now, obviously, we serve we as well as we serve our parent. Cl- our parent company, but we do serve, uh, you know, the majority is these other groups. Just a, an aside, do you spend a lot of time in Winnipeg? I think Great West Life's... Uh... They're based in Winnipeg. I do not. Um, our G- GWL Realty Advisors, our head office is in Toronto, but we're a fairly geographically dispersed company. We have management functions in Vancouver and Calgary, as well as Toronto. And because real estate's very a very local business, we also have a lot of senior people in the major cities where we have assets. So, so Wendy, you're heading up the, the research services and strategy. So just out of curiosity, what does a day-to-day kind of look like for you? Um, well, there is, there is no one day-to-day, which is one <laughs> of the great things about the job I, for, for me is that it's always changing. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been um, doing a lot of what we call the thought leadership side of, of my role. So out at some industry events, speaking, sharing some of our research uh, and our experience as a company with the industry. So I've been doing it at ULI, Urban Land Institute Emerging Trends uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. And here in Vancouver, I was moderating. So I was letting other people share and, uh, and ask them questions. So that's Great. been uh, a little bit of my focus the last week and a half has just been uh, been sharing information. But day to day, we are gathering information and how we look at different markets from the research group as part of portfolio strategy. So we're looking at 
questions around where our clients should have assets, what types of assets, and not just for a couple of years. Pension funds, particularly Canadian ones, are long-term investors, so 15, 20-year horizon. So we're looking at everything from short-term expectations to thinking long-term about where the right places to be are going to be in 20 years. So our research do that. We're, you know, we are always looking at economic trends, the job trends, um, population and demographic trends, shifting uh, transit infrastructure, how, you know, urban areas are changing and that changes where the real estate might be that you would want to hold. You know, what you might have wanted to hold 10 years ago may not be the same real estate you're going to want 10 years from now. So we're tracking um, drivers of those shifts and, and changes. Uh, we also track just what's happening in the different real estate markets through the brokerage houses. So what are the office vacancy stats like in the different markets? We monitor those, um, you know, what's happening in, in rental housing and uh, new supply vacancy, that type of thing in the, in the major cities. Those are just some examples. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, e- one of my colleagues really focuses a lot on e-commerce trends and what that's doing for both retail and industrial strategy. So, so before we get to, because I'd be curious to kind of talk more about about the metrics you use, and it sounds like it's kind of all-encompassing in a way uh, in terms of trying to map out investment strategies for, for a longer term. Uh, but it sounds like historic data is not as uh, as important. Um, well, actually, we look at long term. We do look at historic data, and what's really important to us is understanding how certain cities um, and asset types have performed during strong markets and weak markets, and markets driven by different economic or even maybe geopolitical factors. So, um, so we do look. We actually do. I always like to look as long a history as I can on stats. Um, there's not really good real estate data from before 2001, mm-hmm. so pretty much that's where it starts. But economic data often there's reasonably good data back to the 1980s and for a lot of the metrics that we track, and so you can start looking at you know recessions, you know um, oil price gains and crashes, and uh, how real estate in different markets performed, value of Canadian dollar, and how things how different markets and, and asset classes have performed. Interesting. Yeah, I think the obvious question from here is, uh, what are your thoughts on Vancouver right now? <laughs> well, Vancouver has, has been doing, obviously, really well. The, the, the two phenomenon that is driving what's happening in, in all aspects of real estate, and obviously, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not as much on the, the residential side other than looking at the rental, because we do purpose-built rental, right. but we don't build condos, we don't build single family. But uh, all that as- aspect of real estate, but all the asset classes are being driven by really two two things, I think, right now. One is the job growth. Um, Vancouver has been growing jobs at a very steady rate. Since about 2001, there really, there's only been some really short breaks. And then the last few years, at an even stronger clip, um, you know, sort of 2 to 3%. But at various times, there's been periods of 12 months where it's been 5 or 6% job growth. And then it eases off a little bit. But when you start averaging it out, it's been a very strong run on jobs. Generating jobs, that fills up office space that brings people here that fills up housing um, it's generating you know it generates demand for retail products so retail space industrial space to then fulfill those retail needs so every a lot of things are centered around that and going with that has been population growth so it's I think it's very closely tied to job growth and especially the growth in the 25 to the 39 year old population group um, compared to 2005 there's there's over 90,000 more people in the Vancouver area age 25 to 39. So that's people aging in place. They might have been 18 years old before, and now they're, mm-hmm. you know, now they're in that age group and moving here 
from other parts of Canada, other parts of the world. So it's been those two things that have been really driving a lot of real estate demand um, in recent years. And particularly the last few years, both in population growth and jobs, has just been much stronger. There, there seems, at least in popular media, Wendy, there seems to be these stories we constantly see about people leaving Vancouver between 25 and 39, you know, to go to the island or to, you know, Nelson Winnipeg, or- Nelson, wherever. Um do you see that as a with job growth and and this age range? Do you see that moving on or continuing on into the future, or, or do you see those articles as being misleading? I guess. Well, they're not misleading. There's always a flow, and I was talking about net growth of people. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whereas there's Vancouver, if you actually look at it, and I don't have the stats off the top of my head here, but the flow is actually really high. So you end up often, say, with interprovincial migration. Sometimes the net number is only like fifteen hundred people in a year net end up in Vancouver from other parts of Canada. But if you look at the flow, it's might be I think it's ten to twenty thousand have moved in, and ten to twenty thousand have moved out. Mm-hmm. So there's thousands of people coming and going. And then at the end of the year, Stats Canada makes an estimate of whether, you know, you ended up on the positive or the negative side of that flow. So there's always people leaving. You know, obviously, we know there's a lot of compromises you have to make to live in Vancouver with the price of housing. And some people are are willing to do that. Some people find a way to make it work that works for them. You know, there's also great job opportunities here, which is what people are coming for. And some people obviously say, it's not for me. I want a different lifestyle. And depending on what you're trying to do and what jobs interest you, there may be, you know, just as good of an opportunity in Nanaimo or Nelson or, you know, Campbell River, and it makes sense to right. relocate. But but as I understand it, 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 Vancouver is a younger city today. Would you say than two th- than it was in two thousand five with the ninety thousand uh, net residents of that cohort? It's a good question. Does it average out? It's not. I don't think the. I have to look that one up. The stat actually at whether they average changes because you've also got the boomers getting older yeah, sure. as well. Sure. Um, so you got everybody getting older, uh, but it definitely has more people in that twenty-five to thirty-nine-year-old age group, which you know has obviously been fueling demand for rental housing, and we're really we've really been seeing a crunch in that fueling demand for first-time buyer product, and we've seen a strong growth in the price of condos as well, which is keeping some people renting. Mm-hmm. who might have otherwise, you know, five, six years ago, they would have had the opportunity, given their income, to move into a condo ownership situation. Today, they may not feel like they can do that or can't get that in the area where they want to live. Right. You know, they're not right. willing to make maybe the, the, you know, the commute compromise to get into ownership, so are, are staying renters. And that's putting a lot of pressure on our rental stock, which is creating, you know, other political challenges. Right. Can you speak a little bit about... Um, a little bit further about what these these stats mean uh, in terms of population growth and and this rise in that growth of that uh, cohort for your institutional investors. I mean, obviously, it seems like it's very positive. Well, it's been very positive for real estate demand. So, the price of real estate in Vancouver, commercial level, it's not just it's not just in housing. It's actually this is a very expensive market uh, in Canada um, because of the f- lower Canadian dollar, it's not necessarily as expensive in foreign currencies, which is obviously something to to keep in mind. Housing as well, it's not as expensive in foreign currencies mm-hmm. as uh, maybe it was when the Canadian dollar was closer to par with the, with the United States. Um, but it is, it's a low, you know, in terms of the cap rates, the yields that, uh, you know, that investors can expect, they're very low in this market, uh, in part because the market's considered fairly low risk, you know, that people want to live here. 
So if you were to build new purpose-built rental housing today, the chance that you're going to have a big vacancy problem is very low. Um, so that you know that helps justify paying a, a premium. Say you know similar to downtown office building, you know building new product. What's really hard is to make the numbers work for our clients in Vancouver, uh, just because the yields are lower. Um, pension funds need to pay out their unit holders. The reason they invest in real estate is to pay their pensioners. Mm -hmm. And so they are typically looking for a higher yield than what we can offer in Vancouver, unless we're doing something creative and usually involves development now. So the existing assets, obviously, everybody wants to hold. And then if we're looking to to expand, we're we're looking at development as a way that then they can get some of the developers profit as part of their return. How about um, how about moving forward in the Vancouver market? Do you, do you see uh, the next three to five years in Vancouver still being positive for for your investors? Yes, yeah, I think now will there be opportunities to acquire more assets? That could be challenging, but uh, we do see it as a as a market where if you would hold the assets that you have in most cases. Um, you know, there's always shifting urban dynamics. So there, you know, there's probably there may be some more suburban assets or assets in certain areas where we might decide that we don't see it on a 15 or 20 year horizon as being what we want to hold. But for the most part, uh, we really like the cores, almost any city in North America, we, we quite like the, the cores where there's that experience economy happening with walkable urban amenities. And whether you're an office worker or somebody renting an apartment or you know, you're you're wanting that, or even looking to go shopping, you're wanting that experience. So, um, so even so, looking ahead for Vancouver, Vancouver offers so much of that experience mm-hmm. economy. So we like that. Do you find? Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the metrics. But we've had a lot of people come on, uh, developers and and um, investors, people that manage funds, and they talk about this move to kind of the urban centers and how people want to. The, the best investments now are urban centers because people want that ur- urban lived experience. Is that something that you guys are seeing or, or something that you're kind of focusing on? Well, and, and just piggybacking on that, um, a generational shift in terms of people willing to rent because they want to be in the area that they choose as opposed to buying. Mm. Yes. So we do surveys of renters ourselves. So we have proprietary data on what renters are thinking. And definitely in Vancouver and Toronto for a number of years, but particularly the most recently, we're really seeing that, why do you rent? We ask that question. And we often, we get one answer we've been getting is I want to be able to walk to work. And another answer is, I love my neighborhood and I can't afford to own here. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when we do these surveys, we're also collecting uh, income information. We typically have an income cutoff. So we're not, we're, we're surveying, you know, 50 people making maybe 50,000 and up. And uh, and then sometimes this is the answers you're getting even from the the higher income people. It tends to be even more that way. They're choosing a lifestyle, and that they, they even because now even if you're making a hundred thousand, you may be challenged to find something in a condo product that you would want in downtown Toronto or downtown Vancouver. Right. Do you think there's a a, a trend? Um, towards kind of lifelong renters here um do you foresee that in over the next kind of 20 30 years thinking thinking of like cities like new york yeah like that that's going to be vancouver is going to kind of well vancouver already the city of vancouver itself as opposed to the metro region has around 50 percent rental renters right and uh, toronto similar in the in the core places like montreal just the whole region is just a culture of renting uh the maritimes as well edmonton even has a fairly strong culture of renting so yes i think it's and i think it's going to grow for that experience of 
you aren't having to make a long-term commitment. So, you know, you can try living in a particular neighborhood. Is this going to be too noisy? I don't know, but I'm only going to sign a one-year lease or I'm just going to, you know, I'm planning for a year. I'm not, you know, making a lifelong Mm -hmm. commitment to this space by putting, by buying it. Um, So, yes, I think we're going to be seeing even more of that. Some of it is price-driven, but some of that is also social change, culture-driven of that experience economy and, and being interested in not having to be responsible for, you know, new roofs, new, you know, mowing a lawn. Cutting the grass. Cutting yeah. the grass, <laughs> mowing the lawn. But even in a condo, those sudden assessments, that one thing that uh, that renters have told us in focus groups and in surveys is a, another reason a lot of people like to rent is that cost certainty. Mm-hmm. That even if you're in a fairly new building, it's a fairly high rent, you're paying your rent and you're done. Yeah. Right. And you, or you might be paying some of your, you know, your heat hydro as well, but you can control that with controlling how much you use. Right. So they feel like they're in control of their expenses. You know, we all probably have friends that dealt with sort of the leaky condo <laughs> situations where suddenly it's twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars that you have to find, mm-hmm. and that scares a lot of people. So I, there's also that side. Right. Home ownership has never been cheap. <laughs> no, we uh, I remember looking up some uh, credit data and um, looking at debt levels, and we were looking at debt levels of renters in a certain income bracket versus owners, thinking that maybe debt levels were what was holding people back from getting into ownership. Mm-hmm. But no, it was the recent homeowners that had the much higher credit card type of debt sure. levels. And you can imagine people get into a homeownership situation and probably they suddenly there's expenses you didn't know. Um, you know, you buy a place and the dishwasher doesn't work or the right. fridge doesn't work. And yeah. yeah. Wendy, maybe maybe backpedaling a bit and, and thinking about some of the metrics that we've already kind of covered. But I, I'm really interested because you have a, a team of researchers that are analyzing kind of the areas that you're excited about what are can we kind of flesh out some of the metrics that are most important for making those decisions? So obviously, population growth is is one that you mentioned. Job creation. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit more about some of those metrics? Sure. Well, another thing we look at is economic drivers, and a tool for this we use is something called location quotients, which is a measure of the concentration of employment in a certain sector in the region compared to the national average. So it works out if it's higher than one, it means there's a higher concentration. So we look for multiple economic drivers in a city as, you know, as being something that f- provides more stability in strong markets, weaker, but particularly weaker markets, that you've got more than one economic driver. So the Vancouver market, you know, we hear a lot about tech and the information culture sector, which a lot of it falls into. That's an important driver. But we also have, have the, the Port of Vancouver as a as a really big driver, um, natural resources is still somewhat hanging on as a driver. It's not what it was back in the late '90s, early 2000s when I when I got into real estate. With the forestry head offices were all being bought, and we were seeing a you know a, a big glut of office space. Not that much unlike what they're experiencing in Calgary. Um, so other economic drivers, uh, tourism is a is a big one. Um, it does it's not quite as directly correlated to what our real estate is other than maybe the retail sector, but it provides income into this region. And I'm probably forgetting one for for Vancouver, but but those are the those are that's one really important thing that we look for is multiple economic drivers and the uh, the employment pattern in those economic drivers. Mm-hmm. And in terms of kind of charting the market, um, I was you know the the news right now is is all pretty bleak. Uh, 
for for Vancouver. Whether or not that actually turns out to be the case is is another question. But I was struck by your your kind of pessimism about acquisitions in Vancouver over the next couple of years. Do you also focus on kind of just the market where we're at in in market cycles? Um, you know, is it a good time to buy in Vancouver? That type of thing. Are you advising on that front, or is that uh, is that kind of outside the purview of what you do? Um, well, we generally don't try to time markets, so we look for long term investments. You know, that said, it, right now, just the pricing is high. It's what are the long term you know return expectations? A mm-hmm. uh, little hard to find find those, but we're not. We generally don't look to to time markets. Um, that would be more a different department in in the company that that in research we're looking at. Yes, we like this. We like this region long term. Here's what we see for it in terms of uh, short, medium, long term economic performance. Right. And then looking at how you know we can say past. It's this is how it's correlated to some real estate returns. And uh, and then others take a look at whether it's the right time to buy. But as a as a general general theme for our company is and our clients is that we we aren't looking to time we're looking for long-term investments Mm -hmm. and and just following that in terms of vancouver it sounds like your the downtown core is kind of a is obviously an area of of interest are you do you focus on kind of other areas as well um like say for instance Lower Lawnsdale or New Westminster, are you are you kind of charting different areas and where you see growth in that uh, from that kind of angle? Yes, well, certainly um, again that experience economy. So the urban suburban nodes across North America are starting to, um, uh, well, not starting to. Some of them in the U.S. are fairly mature in terms of being an alternate place to live in some places work uh, compared to the downtown, sometimes a slightly lower price point for whether it's office tenants or renters or, you know, owners. But uh, in the, in the lower mainland, yes. So lower Lonsdale, you may know we have a, um, you know, a rental apartment development site that I believe is going to, uh, to council uh, next week. Um, so yes, <laughs> so I'm not going to say too much about that, but we're but we're hopeful as we really do believe in the the Lonsdale neighborhood. Uh, we also have a, a site going in, that's going to go under construction on Robson Street in downtown Vancouver. Um, but yes, watching those other nodes like New Westminster, we don't have any sites there. But for multi-res, it's certainly an area that we would keep an eye on for an opportunity. Uh, right now, construction prices are high, land prices are high in this market. So compared to other markets in Canada and and even in the U.S., but right now just focused on Canada on this question, it's harder to make things work. So we bought three development sites in Calgary last year. We've got another one in Edmonton purchased a couple of years ago. All of those were getting ready to go on. Uh, whereas in, in Vancouver, we've got these two that we've had for a couple of year, few years. But right now, to acquire land and looking at construction pricing, it might be very challenging mm-hmm. to, to buy something. But we keep looking at these markets, and it takes creativity. Sometimes a partnership can come up, and that's really in any asset class. And what you know, we're l- looking for, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to acquire. Some exi- some other existing asset that has some extra land that we might be able to to densify. Those are the kinds of things that we you need to be creative to make things work in this Vancouver market. Right. You know, an industrial example is we have you know a partnership uh, land lease with the Tuasin First Nation to do an industrial park out on their their land. We you know Amazon is our first uh, 
tenant out there in phase one. So there's a... Um, Aren't you worried about them going out of business? Amazon? <laughs> it sounds like a pretty good tenant. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're comfortable with the covenant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... It, but that's uh, but it's just that creativity of thinking about a land lease and partnerships to make something happen. Sure, that uh, is how you make things happen in Vancouver. The office building we're building, we took down the parking garage next to uh, Vancouver Center at uh, Georgia and Seymour, and now we're building an office tower where that parking garage was, replacing the parking, going down further underground, replacing the parking, and putting an office building on top. So those are the kinds of creativity right. examples that you need to make mm-hmm. something work for our, our clients in this market. Very interesting. So, Wendy, what about other markets maybe outside of Canada, like are there, or, or maybe in well, Canada actually, yeah. or Why don't in we go North in America? First, cause yeah, start in Canada. I'm kind of interested <laughs> in the institutional money heading into Alberta right now. Well, we like, um, and I like Calgary, and we like Calgary. Um, office market is obviously very challenged there, depending on which brokerage house you look at. You know, vacancy is anywhere from about 23 to 27% downtown, depending on that, depending on whose numbers you use. But the other asset classes, Alberta has some really compelling demographics, even, you know, younger population, you know, than the lower mainland, they've attracted even more 25 to 39 year olds over the past uh, 15 years than, than Vancouver and Toronto in terms of as a percentage basis. Uh, so, and Calgary has the lowest percentage of uh, purpose-built rental per capita in the country. So about half the levels of even Vancouver. So we like that market as just a place where new purpose-built rental is being absorbed quickly, even in a downturn. And why, why is, do you have an idea as to why that would be the case? What, for Calgary, why it doesn't have yeah. much rental? Well, for, you know, for a while, one thing it did offer, obviously, was some fairly affordable ownership opportunities. Um, the condo market did very well during the oil boom. So there was there was condo construction, which has been great for creating that some of those urban spaces that people mm-hmm. want to live in and adding more population in that downtown core area, even just creating this neighborhood of East Village next to the Beltline and next to downtown. Um, so that's so that's some of the reasons. And, and sorry, I, I kind of feel like I cut you off in terms of your you were talking about kind of why you liked Calgary and I interrupted you. But why, you, why do we like Calgary? Um, it you know it's got challenges for sure. So it's got that younger population. Uh, the whole province of Alberta has a lower dependency ratio, so they got more of a working age population compared to people under fifteen and over sixty five, which is uh, which is good. Just thinking about investment, it's slowly diversifying in terms of the economy, um, and so and Calgary is uh, the fourth most livable city in the world, according to The Economist. It's right. surpassed Vancouver and, and Toronto now. So it's not the Calgary of 15 years ago, if you haven't, for people who haven't been there recently. It's uh, <laughs> Ralph it's, Klein's Calgary? <laughs> it's not Ralph Klein's Calgary. I, I, think they need to get, I think they need to think about branding something different. Yeah. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, the, the, the attention they've put into entertainment and arts venues, into recreation venues, um, the, you know, the waterfront parks and walkways, bike lanes. It's, a, it's quite a livable city, you know, said like economist says so, and, and I would agree. Right. So that's one of the reasons, that, some of the reasons we like that market. Not to say there's not challenges with the energy sector. Um, it's still a major economic driver without growth happening in terms mm-hmm. of jobs. So in that challenge. index you were talking about earlier, um, where it's the one, you know, one and above, does Calgary, how does Calgary fare in terms of economic diversification i know it's diversifying but yeah well the energy sector is still about a i believe it's about a 3.5 
as, a, as their location quotient. The highest in Vancouver is tech, and it's about a 1.5. Wow. So that shows you how dominant um, energy is there. The Calgary has benefited on the transportation logistics sector, f- partly from all of the retail growth in Canada, or sorry, in British Columbia and in Vancouver, because it's a Western Canadian distribution hub. So a lot of products that you may get here um, may have spent time at a warehouse in Calgary, even though it came off a ship originally from Asia into Vancouver. It then went to Calgary, sat there, and then got moved back here. That's quite possible. That's a very normal part of uh, logistics. So Calgary is doing very well on the transportation logistics sector, and they've had some uh, gradual growth back in the what's called information culture, the which is where software jobs fit. It's gone back to a one. It was all the way down to a 0.8. But it was a driver back before the last um, energy boom. Mm-hmm. So back in 2001, 2002, um, you guys might be too young to remember the dot-com boom here, but... Uh, <laughs> we were in Calgary at the time. There you, yeah, we were. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and companies were moving to Calgary. I was, I was in that that boom here Mm -hmm. and every lots of companies and people were talking about relocating to Calgary and we're doing that for the lower cost of living than Vancouver. And uh, yeah, so, so um, what's great to see about Calgary is slowly that sector's coming back because of that lifestyle. You can imagine it would be appealing for people with small businesses. The challenge Calgary has is that the universities there are not graduating a lot of computer science people Hmm. and sort of information maths, uh, that's another thing we track is now is uh, computer science, information science, mathematics degrees. And uh, yeah, there's, it's, it's growing, but very slowly. So that's, uh, it's a kind of place where you great place to maybe perhaps move a business and, and convince some people to relocate themselves there. But you know, not quite as many people available to hire there as in some other markets. So in thinking about Alberta's economy being really dependent on the energy sector, is Vancouver's economy as dependent on real estate and related industries? Um, well, it's a it's an important part of Vancouver, but I look at real estate and construction and construction, you know, is a shows up as a fairly high location quotient in Alberta as well. Construction is what you could call as a passenger as opposed to a driver that people aren't building houses and office buildings and new schools and new hospitals, new, you know, transit, transit infrastructure, if there's not something else happening, if right. there's not job growth in something else. Um, so it, it's in, obviously it's an important part of the economy, but it's actually supporting other areas. So, you know, growth of container traffic at the port, growth in technology jobs. You know, the this said, the real estate sector in Vancouver does export its services across North America. If you go around North America and look at condos going up, you will find a lot of familiar names that are headquartered yeah. here or a lot of the leadership is here. So, you know, Boza, Ani, West Bank, Pinnacle, Pinnacle is, yeah. um, Grosvenor that's out of the UK, but their North American operation has a lot of the leadership here. So th- that is an export service. From Vancouver. That is is something that we've never really touched on on the show before, but that's a super interesting point because we've talked, we've actually talked about it more in terms of from uh, the city acquiring a level of talent that's kind of other cities would only dream of, right, here in Vancouver. But it sounds like in real estate as well, the level of talent is is so high here that, um, yeah, it's it's a place where branching out across across North America. 
Yeah. It, it is. It's an, you know export exporting the condominium urban condo experience and expertise mm-hmm. of building that Vancouver was one of the you know the first places in North America to really have this strong uh, condominium living boom. Sort of the the old Expo lands in the 1990s. Sure. Now Yale Town um, and creating that neighborhood, and then you know you saw it sort of slowly trickle into Toronto, and now Toronto is probably as you know as the busiest place in North America for residential construction cranes. Right, right. You know, and, but a lot of that leadership initially came from Vancouver. Even now, a lot of the development is um, coming out of, you know, the companies from Vancouver or companies there have hired people. You know, like I tr- travel to Toronto a lot and you run into people that, you know, names that are familiar yeah. from here or people that I knew from, you know, here from, uh, from those sectors. The, you know, the pension funds out of here that do both condo and rental you know, concert in particular, it's doing a lot in Toronto. That's that's really interesting. It, it, just get going back because we we had, um, you know, uh, uh, that was really interesting about Calgary. Uh, are there other areas in Canada that you're that you're excited about? I've been watching Montreal for a number of years, so I'm excited that Montreal is now living up to my expectations of it, yeah, which is right. with economic growth, um, growth of the 25 to 39 year olds. Uh, rental rate growth, growth in purpose-built rental. You know, so we're looking at investing in that. There's been, uh, you know, the office demand growth as well. Some new supply coming, which is exciting for that market. So Montreal, uh, I think, you know, given it's a really major city, it's a, it's a you know a great world city in terms mm-hmm. of cultures and language and. Um, so that's one that I'm really looking forward to watching over the next few years and hoping this momentum can continue. Toronto has got so much happening there. You know, we mentioned the amount of construction of residential happening in the downtown. There's, you know, an equally great amount of office construction, brand new office product happening. Um, you know, the, so there's the rebirth of downtown and some of the neighboring areas, like you know, the South Core, south of the the tracks towards the lake, of both getting both condo and office. So it's just creating this dynamic and and some of these sports facilities, these dynamic neighborhoods. So Toronto is especially that downtown area, which if you go there on business, that's where you spend your time. It's sure. way more exciting place to be than it was ten years ago. Yeah. What, what about smaller markets? Are you guys do you guys follow smaller markets? Are you advising clients to go into smaller markets? We have yet yeah, we do have smaller markets. We look at them primarily for we have a, a few that we're looking at for rental, and then we also will do retail centers in some smaller markets. So those are you know so we've got a couple of retail centers in the Kelowna area, for example. Um, we're, you know, we've, we've taken a really good look at Victoria for, for rental. We do have some retail in the Victoria market. We have some retail in, in the Nanaimo market. Um, and then some, you know, some, some similar sized ones across the country that we look at. And we have, we have different criteria. So that for the, for rental, we're looking at the, some of the bigger quote unquote secondary cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas for retail, we can, we can look at a trade area and it can be a, a smaller center with a, with a good sized trade area. That, that works for you know the major retailers that we that we work with. Right. How about the United States? Are there which, which areas of the U.S. are you guys excited about? Well, we said so we've fairly recently acquired some, some uh, you know a couple of, of companies there. Um, in looking at the U.S., where the growth is right now, it's been shifting away from the gateway markets. It's been shifting into places like you know Denver and Austin. It already shifted to Seattle. Seattle might have passed its peak. But uh, still a lot happening there, obviously, with we've got Microsoft and Amazon um, still still in some growth. But uh, I think it looks like Amazon's trying to grow outside of Seattle as much as inside. Mm. Um, what are some other markets? Um, 
uh, on the East Coast, you know, even, you know, New York is always going to be really good dynamic market, but similar to Vancouver or Toronto, it's expensive or San Francisco, it's expensive. So some of those other cities there, I think, are, are interesting to watch. Um, with any of these cities, what we're looking for, you know, is again, those economic diversification, looking for resiliency in the jobs during strong markets and as well as weaker markets. And looking for those areas to invest, which have that lifestyle, that urban amenity, rich walkability, whether for office, whether for for multi-res, you know, as well as or for industrial, we like the ports and world trade and anything supporting mm-hmm. supporting that. So in the US, we look for that just as we look for it in Canada. Right. And that kind of demographic cohort, that younger kind of rental. I, I was struck by you guys published a report late last year about the number of the number of people living one of the one of the ideas was a lot of people in Vancouver are living with their parents mm-hmm. um and there's and and that's a supply issue do you think um with the kind of building boom over the last 5 years uh a lot of people are talking about a lot of supply coming in the next couple of years here but it, from my reading of that report, at least, it sounds like you're not optimistic that there's enough supply coming at all in Vancouver. No, I don't think there is. And I actually think I'm starting to worry about housing supply as a risk to office demand and economic, which is a, therefore saying it's it's a risk to economic growth. Uh, there's just not enough housing at prices um, that are affordable to, you know, the people that these different companies who are growing yeah, are are hiring so so yeah i think we have um uh living with parents ninety two thousand in the vancouver cma people 25 to 39 living and for with those their parents. terms the cma refers to the metro area right. sorry okay yeah, so the vancouver metro area not just the city itself uh so you've got so that's pent-up demand on top of you know we have you know forty thousand people moving to the region you you know Put them into rent, you know, households and rental households. Probably about twelve thousand. You needing twelve thousand homes just to meet their needs in the rental stock. Plus all these people living with their parents. Um, plus we've done research that a lot of people renting condos would rather be in purpose-built rentals, so sure. they would move to it. So we feel you can't oversupply this market with purpose-built rental. There's just not enough. But then just housing generally, there's just not quite. A, there's not enough being built for the pent-up demand combined with this growth from job growth that's coming and, and people moving here. So it's a, it's, it's a concern. Um, obviously, we've got some new political leadership, provincially, municipally, you know, they're finding their way right now. So it's certainly something we're monitoring to see if they find new some new solutions for getting mm-hmm. more housing supplied. And would you say you're optimistic uh, from what you've seen so far? It's a bit too soon to tell, yeah. I would say. You know, I remember when uh, Vision Vancouver first came in, so Gregor Robertson's first term, and I think there was some uh, a building in the West End was up for public hearing. And they were shocked at the number of people who came to oppose it, given how many people had told them on their when they were out campaigning that we need more housing. And of course, it's that it's not that people don't think we need more housing. They just don't want the new housing built next door to them. <laughs> <laughs> Always a problem. And I think over time that... Gregor Robertson, that vision group, figured out how to work through that and still find ways to say yes and knew that they would always have some people that were, you know, the, the nearby, you're always going to have some opposition, but you had to look at the 
broader needs of the city. And so now I look at, we've got fairly green, not both green, yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally, and yeah. green in terms of inexperienced, novice, yeah. novice, popu- novice po- people at city city councils, and not just the city of Vancouver, and a lot of them, and they've got to figure out how it's going to work. Right. And so I, I feel it's too soon to judge any of the councils on how things are going to go. They may make some decisions early on that, you know, may not be the same ones they'll make down the road as they get more experienced and as they, right. you know... One of the detriments of cleaning house, I guess, is losing that experience that kind of, at least with vision, that, you know, basically the decade-long learning that went on there. Right. Uh, installing the process, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's not that by the, you know, I'm not you know, commercial for vision by by any means. <laughs> it was I was just using it as an example yeah, no, of where sure. I, I yeah. thought that they actually were working hard on the housing right. file. And it's a very tricky file, obviously, politically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that uh, this group's, you know, is going to learn and find their way. And it's just too soon to know right. who's going to turn out to be the leaders, especially in, in cities where you don't necessarily have one party dominating. You don't quite know who's going to turn out to to lead. Right. And and uh, and bring other counselors along with them. Well, we had Gordon Price on the program and his his comment was it usually takes the first uh, a couple months to just start finding the bathrooms and uh, where you get your coffee in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's where they're at is is really just figuring out, you know, who they want to work with and who they can turn to for advice in internally city staff, city staffers that they're, you know, that they're going to be like minded with and, and who they want, who they can rely on for for help. Um, and they'll, you know, so we'll see. I think, you know, it's another a year and we'll see how, how things are going. And just kind of circling back here, Wendy, it sounds like you're not optimistic that the vacancy rate that's always kind of hovering around 1% is, is that you're not optimistic that that's going up uh, considerably over the next kind of two, five, ten years here in Vancouver. Certainly not in the next two. Um, ten, it would take a lot of construction and and not just in, it's a regional wide issue that the city of Vancouver because there's so many jobs there there's so many amenities and these walkable neighborhoods that people there'll be that flight to location quality so for Vancouver to get up above 1% vacant i think some of the suburbs are going to be have to be 5 or 6% vacant right um to then have that where it'll be there'll be a, enough of a price difference where some people will say no i won't stay in the city of Vancouver at you know paying $4 a square foot i will move to, you know, Port Moody or New Westminster or Burnaby and and save some money. So, yeah, so for the city of Vancouver to get above 1%, I don't see it. I think the region could certainly get a little higher because I'm really excited about some of the rent, you know, the groups doing rental in the suburbs that'll be starting to provide an alternative, you know, probably, you know, more space, lower pricing for the same space uh, on transit, that uh, that will help with the regional choices for renters, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't see, yeah, I don't see a vacancy in the city of Vancouver going up unless uh, somehow councils across the region all get together and say we're just going to start, you know, approving or mass rezoning areas to allow for it or yeah. something like that, which, which is really, very very tricky to do. Yeah, it seems highly unlikely based right. on what we're seeing now. Right. And, and just as a last question, we didn't, uh, at the start, we usually kind of talk a little bit about your own personal story uh, more so than we did. I feel like we jumped right into it and it's been a fascinating conversation. But I think you're the first historian we've had on the program. By trade. 
Well, by training. <laughs> by training. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A, a PhD in history. I was just wondering if that's how that's kind of influenced your your trajectory, your your analysis, if at all. Well, I think it has. It actually was probably fairly good training for real estate, it, you know, oddly enough. Uh, my specialty was 20th century economic development and how technological change um, and even some social, you know, I guess technological change brought social change and economic change um, in developing countries. So now I look at, you know, we've got different technologies coming in, different demographic groups, new experiences, and how is that going to shape uh, the economy long term? So it, it's um, it, it's also you know I did a lot of comparative analysis theory. So it's how you because you can't historians can't create create something in a lab. So you look at places where you know that are similar, but something new happened in one place and didn't happen in the other, and you can kind of see how that then played out over time. Mm-hmm. And we do use some of that theory in uh, in looking at real estate markets, looking at you know how one market did during an economic downturn versus another, and looking at um, maybe what you know what the economic drivers were, what the job growth was like, um, right. maybe infrastructure differences across different cities. So so some of that methodology from grad school has come in handy. <laughs> that, that just makes me think we, we get as Van, Vancouver gets compared to so many cities around the world all the time. You think of Hong Kong or Sydney or wherever. It, do you think that there's an apt comparison that, that you guys use perhaps, or, or do you, do you look at other markets uh, related to Vancouver? Well, Vancouver, yeah, I mean, Vancouver is like one of the, any of those markets that's very geographically constrained. So we'll sometimes look at that. Um, you can look at it as an, a former natural resource hub, probably le- right. no less so now. And look at so you can look you compare Vancouver and Calgary on, on natural resources and transitioning out of a natural resource dependency. Um, you can look at you know the geographic constraints, and then you might be looking at San Francisco and even some of the different regional um, San Francisco areas. Most people know has a lot of different municipalities, just like Vancouver has a lot of municipalities in the area, and how they work together and what's been successful and what hasn't. Um, so I'm also do a lot of work with the Urban Land Institute, and that's an interesting question where we've brought uh, you know look to do some programming around that um, and uh, the the comparative background. What other cities and Vancouver and Toronto are always interesting comparisons because you know Toronto is a little bit less geographically constrained at the widest margins, but into the downtown core, it's so built out that it mm-hmm. does have a lot of the same characteristics as Vancouver right. these days, which is which makes it interesting to compare those two markets. Fascinating. Well, well, we really appreciate your time today, Wendy, and maybe we'll leave it there, but we do have this quick segment called the Five Wire, five quick questions about Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? Okay, sure. Let's go. Excellent. So uh, first question is, what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Um, well, I like my own neighborhood of Commercial Drive. Um, and if I wasn't Commercial Drive, I like Main Street, sort of the 25th up to 31st area. And I'm also liking Lonsdale. My daughter trains gymnastics over there. And so I spent a lot of time on Lonsdale and really finding the, the changes there fascinating and exciting. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, favorite restaurant or bar? Good question. Um, uh, the Libra Room on Commercial Drive. Oh, that's a good one. We haven't had that we one We have yet. not had that one. Uh, where do you bring someone from out of town, the first place that you bring them? Usually downtown somewhere. Depends on, obviously, it depends on who they are. If they like um, being outside, might walk the seawall or go up Grouse Mountain. 
Mm-hmm. Again, depending on the season and the weather. Just, right. just, just put them through the grind. <laughs> no, we, we, I've never brought a, an out-of-towner on the grind. I've, I, I've, I've been tempted uh, with, with some colleagues from out-of-town to say, yeah, let's just go do this. Uh, a ca- this wear your flip-flops. Yeah, yeah casual, casual casual hike. Uh, West Side Mansion or Downtown Pentos? Downtown Pentos. And last but not least... What is something that you've bought in the last year or so under $500 that's had a major impact on your life in a positive way? Uh, It could be a gadget, an app, um, a book, anything. Well, I have something a lot less than $500, and I forgot it today. That's why I was even thinking about it. Um, I bought a clean canteen coffee mug that completely seals. So you can make tea or coffee or buy tea or coffee, seal it up, put it in your bag for cycling or commuting. I I tend to do a lot of walking transit commute. Uh So that, and I think it cost me all of about $30. Wow. You know um, what? Interestingly enough... Todd Talbot was the other guy who talked about his coffee mug <laughs> for about 10 minutes. So that's the second person who's, who's answered yeah. that. Yeah, but the fact that it's, yeah, it's leak-proof and then, yeah, you can just turn one dial and start, you know, drinking out of. And I thought of it because I've listened to your podcast. I knew about the question when I realized <laughs> at the coffee shop on the way here that I'd forgotten it. Oh, that's great. Well, hey, thanks so much again, Wendy, for taking the time. That was a, that was a phenomenal conversation. Yeah, and, and how can people find out more about um, what you guys are doing and uh, about GWL Realty Advisors? Well, you can go to our website, uh, gwlra.com. We also have a news website that has a lot of our research published on it, gwlranews.com. And so I encourage you to, to go there. And then if some of the topics that came up today are of interest, I'll do a plug for Urban Land Institute, which is different from the Urban right. Development Institute. Right. Urban Land Institute of British Columbia, I'm on the management there, and we do a lot of programming related to comparing cities and what's happening in Vancouver from a more holistic uh, perspective. So we will bring in people from you know, planning backgrounds and, and different, uh, you know, as well as development, as well as uh, real estate brokerage, all sorts of different backgrounds to talk about issues, uh, politicians as well. So it's a, it's a great, great area to, uh, to think about all these broader issues. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for taking the time. Okay. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Wendy Waters, multidisciplinary researcher and real estate investment strategist for GWL Realty Advisors. I really enjoyed our conversation with Wendy, Matt, and uh, you liked it so much we sat around for about an hour afterwards talking about gymnastics. <laughs> we did, yeah. Wendy, Wendy. I should say you, your daughter's she, in she gymnastics, has, not you. You're yeah. in yoga for stiff guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Gymnastics was uh, 20 years ago for me. Yeah. Um, it was never. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't. But yeah, Wendy's uh, has a lot of interesting things to say about gymnastic clubs, that's for sure. Yeah. But the real interesting conversation was about real estate. And uh, we're glad that we got Wendy in the studio and that she took uh, some time for us because she is very, very busy and very active in the market. Yeah. And she's also an historian, which was exciting. Uh, yeah. We've never had a historian on the show before, so that was good. Well, you know what? When they say multidisciplinary researcher, I, I mean, you really have to be... Uh, you got to be a jack of all trades when you're researching these markets and understanding these markets, right? I mean, you, you draw something, probably everything in Vancouver from history to uh, criminology, I'm sure. <laughs> no, yeah, too far. Yikes. No, I, I think it's uh, of the moment. <laughs> nice work. Of the moment. So what else do we got, Adam? We got thank, Van- thank me later, Vancouver son. <laughs> Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. 
Yes. Yes, Matt, we do. Where you can find resources like private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's realtor level information and you get it directly to your inbox. We've tried and tested every research tool out there. This is the best one. Sign up for your free account today. If you're not using private client services to monitor Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. We also have tips, tricks, a news feed. This site is updated, what, about 10, 15 times a day. I feel like that's all I'm doing. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You're not actually updated. I'm not. I'm not. But somebody this is. is. This is this somebody is. is. That was straight up a lie. I've had, uh, on a side note, I... Uh, I can't I've believe had, you just out, yeah. full outed me like that. <laughs> on a side note... Um, I thought, man, I don't know. And if anyone knows how to how to fix a car radio, <laughs> because I want to be completely upfront, I have this that it skips through my music on my iPhone, and at some point I downloaded like a four hundred track Ray Charles collection, and it's been stuck on there for about a week. That would be good for the first day at least. If there's a if there's a mechanic, yeah, I'm sick of it. I'm Let, seriously. Let's uh, let's put it this way: if you want to talk about anything other than Ray Charles, give me a call. Yeah, seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast dot com. And for uh, and if you want to talk about the King of Cool, give me a call at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast dot com. We also got the King of Cool secret line. <laughs> info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com beep beep alright guys we'll have a great week and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday take care 2000 Faces for Radio subscribe today Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate 
or volunteer and they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers, that's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.